Experts claim there is nothing tougher than a diamond. But at Diamonds Direct, we beg to differ. Have you ever met a mother? Strong, radiant, timeless. This Mother's Day, give her the gift that meets her match. With diamond jewelry starting at $200, plus Diamonds Direct's exceptional quality and unbeatable everyday price, you're sure to give her a gift that wows this generation and the next to come. Experience the thrill of jewelry shopping done right at Diamonds Direct. Diamonds Direct. Your love, our passion. You know you've got a comeback in you. When you take the next step, you're going to make it count. For your career, for your family, for your life. You can earn a degree you're proud of with Purdue Global. Purdue Global is backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected and innovative public universities. This is your chance. This is your opportunity. This is your comeback. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. Hi, everyone. Today, I am reporting to you from my parked car on a side street in Upper Manhattan now. Why on earth is that? Well, it's because I just stepped out of Amy Schumer's apartment, which sounds like the name of a new TV show, Amy Schumer's Apartment. And I wanted to tell you all about our conversation while it's still fresh in my mind. Amy Schumer, the comedian, actress, writer, and now Broadway star, is the latest lady in our Wonder Women series. It was just us gals in her apartment, yes, I'm pretty excited about that for our chat. But as you heard, Brian already barged into the ads. And don't worry, Brian will be back again during the break and credits as well. And of course, for next week's episode too. As for my interview with Amy, we had a lot to cover. She's been so productive since bursting onto the national stage back in 2007 when she was a contestant, believe it or not, on NBC's last comic standing. Turned out pretty well for her. Amy made her mark in stand-up with her signature brand of taboo-busting and unapologetically raunchy comedy. And to give you an idea, her first stand-up special was called Mostly Sex Stuff. Now, more recently, she's also flexed her skills in acting, producing, and writing. Of course, I love Trainwreck. You probably did, too. She starred in movies, penned a best-selling memoir, The Girl with the Lower Back Tattoo. Funny, huh? And she's won awards for her hit sketch series on Comedy Central. And if that weren't enough, she's fresh off her Broadway debut in a play written by Steve Martin called Meteor Shower. Fair warning, Amy is known for being a little bit body, and to kick things off, I decided to clear the air and revisit the time that Amy full-on pranked me. Now, it's probably a bit R-rated, so you may not want to listen to this episode with the kids, especially if you haven't had the talk yet, or maybe even if you have. We have so much to talk about, yeah. but first, I think, Amy, we should give people a little bit of the backstory of our last our encounter, <laughs> because you have utilized me in some of your acts. And you were such a great sport, and, like, I just, I mean, I'm such a fan of yours anyway, and I'm very grateful to your work. 
um, for real. Like, thank you. Yeah, it's it's. I I feel a little choked up that you're you're here in my home. So thank Aww, you, thank you, Amy. Um, and you just were such a great sport. It well, was, let's tell the story. Okay, we'll tell the story. It was at <laughs> it was after the glamour glamour women of the year awards. We were at this like after party, and in, at our table it was Stephen, Stephen Colbert, Colbert, Mindy Kaling, and we were next to each other. And your husband arrived. And you were like, you know, kind of like, oh my God, he wasn't embarrassed. He's crashing. Like you were, you know, well, kind no, of. Well, no, actually I was kind of aggravated with him. Oh, Because okay. he, you know, I didn't invite him. I love you, John, but he wasn't invited. <laughs> and crashed. he sort of just showed up. And yeah. I was like, wait a second, what is my husband doing here? Because mm-hmm. it's kind of, even though Stephen was at our table, it's kind of a girl power thing. Totally. And it's it's, it's such not a, a bring your your Not really. Situation. It's not really a plus one. Yes. And so John walked in and I was like, oh my God what's going on? My husband's here. Right. So I got up because he made a beeline to Carrie Russell. I remember that. Yeah. <laughs> you know? He's like, oh no. Who, 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 he, who, he loves he the loves Car- Yes, or, yeah. he loves Carrie Russell. So <laughs> I thought, oh, I better go say hi to him or he's yeah. going to leave this party with Carrie Russell. So I got up <laughs> and I left my phone on the table. You left your phone on the table unlocked. Unlocked. And so you, that's on you. You very cagely. <laughs> I, without thinking about it and without consulting anyone, just picked up your phone. I saw that you had just text your husband, and then I text him saying, "I want to have anal tonight." And the rest is history. <laughs> so it was so funny because, from my perspective, so I kind of like I go, "Oh my god!" Because I just have these impulses to do like, "What's the worst thing I could do right now?" And then. I kind of check with people to be like, oh, it's okay. So I, I go, Mindy, I just, and I show Stephen. And they're just, Mindy was like very alarmed as she should have been. And Stephen just fell on the floor laughing. And then you you and your husband came back over the table kind of like soon after. And we're like, we're leaving. And it just, from my perspective, I was like, well, this is absolutely hilarious. And then I don't know if you And by just, the way, yeah. P.S., I thought it was super funny yeah, too. Because you, it yeah. actually sounded like something that I would do like to a, a yeah. friend. Because right. I was constantly pranking people like yeah. that on computers at work. <laughs> when they left their computer open, I would do, you know, write funny messages to right. people. But, um, and, and I thought it was really funny. Yeah. My husband actually is really funny and yeah. has a great sense of humor. He thought it was funny mm-hmm. too. And we laughed about it. But then, a, how long later? A couple, I don't know. A like few months later. A few months I later. Guess, I kind of started. You were, I think you were publicizing Trainwreck. Was it Colbert? Yeah. Oh, oh yes, yes. Yeah. Okay. And so I talked about it. We went to bed. <laughs> we went to bed. Uh, and suddenly our phones were blowing oh, up in the morning no. saying, oh, my God, Amy Schumer <laughs> was talking about you guys last night. And I was like, oh, God, oh, oh God. No. So I thought it was – I actually thought it was really funny. And yeah. I always was upset that you didn't include what John wrote back to me. Oh, I didn't see. On, what he texted back yeah. was, again? Oh, my gosh. If I had, if I had gotten that text, I would have – Cried laughing. And I actually thought it was really funny. So yeah, you you yeah. also used it on your HBO special. Right, yeah. Comedy special. People really liked the idea of that prank. You know, they're well, like, oh my funny. God, the sweetest. Yeah. But, but, but I, what I, what the only thing that hurt my feelings is you described when I came up to you at the Glamour Awards and you said that I said something that I never would have said, like, I love funny. Or I some, love humor. I love humor, but I don't yeah. think I said that. I know. Well, this is where we have to agree to disagree. <laughs> but just the same, I feel, you know, that was like a couple years ago. And I do feel like I take more responsibility for, 
you know, just being more careful with people's feelings and stuff. So no, I that's do. Okay. It just made me sound like such a tool. And I, I do know, remember and I'm going sorry. up to you. That's you're not okay. a tool. You're I'm not, thank like you. one of the greatest people of all time. Well, you're so. so sweet to say that. But I was like, I would never say I love humor. I'm sure I do remember going up to you and saying, hi, Amy. I just wanted to want to tell you I'm a big fan right, yeah. of yours. And then you said I love humor. I did not. <laughs> <laughs> I did not. Oh, man. Okay. But anyway, I still am trying to think of how to get you back. But I oh, actually. I, I know you are. I actually thought it was really funny. So. We have so much to talk about yeah. in addition to your texting and pranking yes. my husband, which is you've just finished doing Meteor Shower on yeah. Broadway, which I saw. Oh, you I did. thought you were fantastic Thank in you. it. Thanks and, for seeing and it. And that was um, must have been an incredible experience for you because mm-hmm. that was your first. I mean, you yeah. were on Broadway, Amy. I got to do a Broadway play. And I know. You were in a play written by Steve by Martin. Steve Martin. It's yeah. It's still like really amazing to me that that happened. So how did it all come about? Well, my relationship with Steve was I I did a, a play of his called Picasso at the Lapano Gilles in college, and uh, <laughs> you know just this little student production, and such a huge fan of his for you know like everyone else, and then I hosted this music show this music talk show like 10 years ago and he was on with his bluegrass band and I had him sign my copy of the play and I had him sign my copy of his autobiography Born Standing Up and and I loved his music and everything and and he was really polite and sweet and uh, I got to do like a little bit with him for a promo on the show and I left and I cried because I just couldn't believe I got to do a bit with Steve Martin and then I became friends with Edie Brickell and I went to see their musical Bright Star and and then just through friends, like, we just kind of kept running into each other. And then Steve and I became friendly and, uh, you know, would hang out and he'd have some people over for dinner or whatever. And then he had this play and he said, I want you to read this play and I'd like you to play the role of Corky. And I was, like, already thinking of, yes, I'm doing this. I don't care. And then I read it and I was like, this is so fun and it'll be so great to do this role. And it's Steve Martin. And so, yeah, I said, what's the least amount of time I can do it? And I said, if you like that kind of team player energy, then, and they were like, yeah, you can do it for like 12 to 15 weeks. And, and we did it. And it was what was so it, fun. what was it like? Because, you know, watching you, you play, I mean, I love the character you play. I wonder which what show is, you were at. Did I yell at the audience at any point? You didn't yell at the oh, audience. Oh, okay, good. <laughs> but you were sort of a, an exaggerated version of, some version of yourself in a sure. way. A different and, t- yeah, both both sides. And yeah. and you it was really fun and funny, but watching you I thought, boy, and I think this every time I go see a Broadway show, this must be so hard. It must be so hard to remember all this stuff. Oh, uh, that's no. not a problem. No. No, I am um, my sister tested my IQ once and I tested in some categories as as if I was a special needs person. And like in the the low percentile for some things like word recognition, just reading down a fast list. And then some things I tested as a genius. And one of those was just memorization and and short-term memory. So, you know, for stand-up for anything, memorization is not a problem for me. But reading like a billboard as I'm driving down the street is, I see something different than what it says. Really? Yeah. (laughs) When you do stand-up, do you have any kind of prompter or any kind of cue cards that help remind you? a, A set list with keywords. Oh, really? Yeah. So where is it? Is it in a you prompter? You were on my set list for like a year. It said Katie Couric. <laughs> Anal sex. As the closing bit. I mean, people, yeah, it was good enough that it was a closer. So did this whet your appetite to do more Broadway? Yeah, more not the- right away. More theater? <laughs> oh, yes. I'm of the theater now. Um, I, yeah, I'll do more theater, but not for a couple years. 
Yeah, I, I, I hope I do. So let's talk about some of the other things that you've been up to. First of all, your schedule is crazy, and I love how you are doing a little bit of everything. So you're doing some stand-up stuff. Mm-hmm. You've just, you're doing another movie, I Feel Pretty, right? Yeah, yeah. Have you finished that movie? Yeah, we're editing it. We're you're almost, editing we're it. Post, yeah. You did uh, the great movie with Goldie Hawn, which yeah, was really fun. thank you. And you did Trainwreck mm-hmm. with Judd Apatow. Yeah. Or Toe. Apatow, Apatow, or I've been saying it wrong for yeah, years. Yeah, Apatow, <laughs> um, who seems like an incredibly nice guy. He's awesome. He's like the sweetest guy, especially and with everything going on culturally. You really appreciate the people who've never made you uncomfortable. He has a special on Netflix, which is really good. Really? Yeah. yeah I've been seeing really some funny. snippets of it yeah. on his Instagram. But Inside Amy Schumer, you're not doing right now, right. but you'd like to do more television in the future or yeah. something. Yeah. It's like everything keeps evolving with the, you know, the options for how people can view content. So I'm open to everything. Well, let's talk first about the movie that's sure. coming out in June. Is that right? Yeah. So it's tell like me a little, July weekend. Tell me a little bit about that. Okay. Well, you know, it came at a time where I was going to maybe do this other really big movie. And because with stand-up, I've made a lot of money. And so it's like I can really do stuff I care about now. Uh, I was like, you know, you're always afraid as a comic. You're like, am I going to have, is this my last set? Is this the last joke I'll ever write? Am I going to ever work again? So I was like really trying to sort of just make enough money so I could feel like I, I, myself and my family and my friends were were safe. You know, like if somebody got sick, I could take care of them. And then I was like, now I really want to, I'd love to still make money, but I want to do stuff that I feel like is really saying something. Um, which was sort of the only drawback with doing the play because it was so fun and exciting. But during this t- particular time, you re- I really wanted to be giving all my energy to something that was like helping, you know, and even right. though people come and they laugh, it's like the crowds are all, you know, Broadway goers. It's, it, I don't think it's a secret. It's all white, you know, pretty much um, wealthy people. It's it, that those tickets are expensive. So I felt a little bad about, you Being know, out, out of the conversation yeah, that yeah. was going so on. I was still, you know, in meetings for Time's Up and still active as an activist, but my main energy was going into that play. So I Feel Pretty came up and the message was just, it was just exactly what I wanted to say to um, to women. Because I, you know, I, I'm interested in helping everybody that, that I can, but, but really I love women and want to focus on projects that empower them. And this, this movie is... Uh, it's all about that. It's really fun and funny and, and relatable. But, uh, but uh, yeah, I think there's a really sweet message. Well, tell us, can you tell me a little bit more sure. about it and, yeah. uh, and who else is in it? Okay. Um, so Michelle Williams is so funny in this movie. And um, Lauren Hutton plays a role. Naomi Campbell. Um, Rory Scovel, who's a comedian who I've been friends with for 15 years, and he's so great in this movie. And A.D. Bryant who uh, is on oh, SNL. I love, I love her. We became really, really close. And um, yeah, and Busy Phillips. And it's it's a really solid, solid cast. And we had such a good time. And and Emily Ratatowski. And that's almost 100% not how you say her name. But um, <laughs> you know who I mean. I do know Okay, so mean. she's great. She's amazing. And, uh, and it's about um, my character, Renee. She doesn't have... Particularly good self-esteem, and just understands that that people judge you of how you look in this world right away. And we're trying to move further away from that, but that's the situation. And she just kind of longs to be um, to, to to have a better job, to go for these guys, but she just doesn't have the confidence. And I, 
you know, I, I hit my head, I fall off a bike in, in Soul Cycle, and then all of a sudden I see myself as an absolute supermodel. And everything changes, and it, but it actually completely nothing changes. changes. Yeah. The way you relate to the world. Yes. I have, it's a whole new life, a whole new person. And, and, um, that's so interesting because really the way you feel about yourself, if you feel like you're not attractive or something's going on with you or you've gained weight or whatever, mm-hmm. it is amazing for women how much that can completely distort it everything, you. right? Yeah. You want to hide. It doesn't let you to live to your your potential. And that's what we want from women the most right now. Just you have so much potential and you can do anything and we need you to lead and, and they, they, you know, feel held back. And I also have, um, I know we're going to talk about activism later, but uh, Lisa Evans, who's a costume designer and a stylist, we started a foundation called Style Fund and it's helping women learn how to dress for their bodies and like just kind of give them a formula. So if they're is you know we started out with like prisoners going back to work and and now it, or, or military uh, veterans, but now it's it's really we're trying to get um, develop it for all women just because not everyone knows how to dress and they don't have access to you know help like like you and I might it, and it just really holds you back. But if you feel good and confident, then you're able to achieve more. So I think it's it's kind of all in line with the same message. That's incredible. Have, have you, are you working with some of the women you're helping with this, oh, with yeah. this foundation? Yeah, yeah. And what is that like to see really kind of them suddenly uh, really change their whole outlooks? They, their energy completely shifts. It's, it feels so good. And, it, and it, yeah, it's really emotional to see, you know, a mother of four who's just trying to reenter the workforce who just, it, it, how, how do you, you can't do everything. How are you going to also, you know, with a on a low with a low income job and kids, and you're you need help. You know, most people need help, and so just having someone hand you the tools, so you understand. Okay, so if I wear this kind of scoop neck is good on me, and then if I just a cardio, you know, and it can be from the Salvation Army who we partnered with for these events. You know, it doesn't have to be a, a, some fancy designer, and you can go into H and M and get like a ten dollar cardigan and make a pencil skirt. You know, we just help people dress for their. For their comfort and what level. Do, what do they say when they... They cry and they, they're so excited and they're proud to go home and show their kids and go out and the energy just completely changes. You see a transformation in these women. Time to take a quick break. We'll be back with Amy Schumer right after this. This is it. Your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do, too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today 
at purdueglobal.edu. It took 11 years to get to the sale. The NYX anniversary sale is on now at knix.com. Celebrate the intimate apparel company that has reinvented products for real life with one of NYX's biggest sales of the year. Get 30% off all leak-proof apparel from the number one leak-proof brand in North America, including period underwear, swimwear, activewear, and more. Millions of people have made the switch to NYX leak-proof underwear, and there's never been a better time for you to try. Save 30% on super-comfortable, machine-washable, and great-looking underwear that's perfect for periods and light bladder leaks. Choose from a variety of colors, styles, and sizes, from extra small to 4XL. You can even match your leak-proof underwear with an incredibly supportive and comfortable NYX wireless bra. Don't miss this chance to stock up on your NYX favorites or try something new. It only happens once a year at NYX.com. That's K-N-I-X.com for the NYX anniversary sale. Hurry, the sale ends on Monday, May 13th. Go to NYX.com. That's K-N-I-X.com. This podcast is brought to you by NerdWallet. Are you paying for your me time with just any credit card in your wallet? While you shouldn't stop treating yourself, you should start paying with a credit card that has perks. NerdWallet lets you compare top travel credit cards side by side to maximize your spending. Some even offering 10 times points on your spending. So what could future you do with better rewards? A free flight? Room upgrades? Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at nerdwallet.com. Reminder, credit is subject to lender approval and term supply. NerdWallet. Finance smarter. And now back to my conversation with the one and only Amy Schumer. I want to talk about your activism regarding sensible gun laws Mm -hmm. in a moment, and also, of course, what's been happening in Hollywood and beyond. Mm -hmm. But first, I want to go back a little bit, Amy, and I know you get probably tired of talking about some of the same things, but I didn't know a lot about your life story. I didn't realize that you grew up here on the Upper East Side of Manhattan, Uh and that I didn't know that your dad had been diagnosed with MS when you were very young. Mm -hmm. When you were, what, nine years old? Yeah, like... Nine or ten. And that you had gone from kind of a wealthy... Being rich to poor. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. And that, that suddenly you kind of had to make this adjustment mm-hmm. when your life changed. Your yeah. dad lost his business. He had to declare bankruptcy. You moved right. from a, a really sort of spacious apartment. A mansion apartment. in the sky to yeah. a little To a little house. house. Yeah. And then your folks got divorced. So... I know that you still see your dad, and he's yeah, still, he's he has still a standing here. lesson right now. Yes, he, he does. He's, yeah, he's getting stem cells, so he's like they put him in a contraption called a stander, and it's it helps him like remember how to stand because he's been in wheelchair for so long. Wow. Yeah. And and how do you think that impacted your outlook on life? And do you think that steered you toward comedy in a way? Yeah. Are you guys worried about holding for sound? <laughs> Hold for sound before Amy <laughs> talks about her wheelchair dad. Um, I think it, it made me like, you, you know, use humor as like a defense mechanism and keep everybody laughing also and keep myself laughing. And also just the reality of your parents are human beings and they're not invincible and they can get sick and they can have affairs and make mistakes. I learned that at too young of an age. And, um, and I think just the, the things I observed, I, I'm a comic, we are 
highly observational people. And I really took it all in and kind of understood the way the world worked with, for women and sex and like how little sort of power we had. And I think that's like been the basis of a lot of my stand up up to this point. It you was mean watching your mom and dad. Or? Yeah. I think like watching my mom and her dating and, and seeing my dad and his, he, he's, you know, I, I have a joke now in my stand up that you just like assume everyone in a wheelchair is nice. Like we always like kind of smile and pay attention to someone in a wheelchair, but my dad is like a really like, he's like a womanizer, you know, he's like not the best person. I love him and he loves me, but you know, the way he was with women, like really objectified them and just like witnessing that at such a young age, I... And wasn't faithful to your mom, I assume. No, he... I mean, who knows? No, I don't think he was. But that's like the least of it. Really? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, he maintains that he was, but I seriously doubt that. But they both made huge mistakes and weren't completely faithful. And uh, So it sounds like it was complicated. Oh, I would say I would say it's complicated. No, but you know, but... But, but then also, I feel bad saying that because there are people who have had it so much worse, you know? So I really don't feel like poor me. It's like, I, I'm grateful that I had two parents that loved me and we had a roof over our heads. And it was a really strange change to go from being rich to being pretty poor. But I wasn't getting hit. I wasn't getting raped. Like, it's just, people have it so much harder, I feel like, you but know? But having said that, it wasn't yeah. ideal. And no, it was not ideal. It was crazy. And And you kind of <laughs> Used humor. I mean, mm-hmm. were you always funny, Amy? When did you realize that, hey, I'm funny? I was always funny. Really? I was like a kid. Did you come out funny? Yes. I mean, you know, you, don't you feel like you knew your children pretty quickly? Like, like, do you think those personality traits that you see early, do they maintain that? I'm, I guess. I'm asking. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I'm thinking. I just um, know from my, like, my friends who have kids and then my niece, it's like, it was all there. If we, because now we have all these cell phone videos, we can look and be like, oh, she was already the boss, and kind of, you know, came out like stomping around, pumping her fist in the air. It's like, yeah, I don't know. So, but yes, I was always funny, and I always loved making people laugh. And do you remember the first time you did stand up? Yeah, I have a tape of it. It's, it's awful. Really? Oh God, yeah, it's terrible. I mean, my hair. Really? <laughs> it's just like... That yeah. was in New York, wasn't it? Yeah, it was a Gotham comedy club, the old Gotham. Do you remember the worst joke you told? Yeah. Um, it was about just what it's like to ride a crosstown bus in Manhattan and how it... I mean, this it's not a good joke. I feel like, you know, inevitably I still want you to think it's funny, but <laughs> just how, like, when you feel it, like, kind of, like, one of the tires deflate, you know, if they need to let somebody on who's who's, like, got something going on, and it was, like, you know, this woman, she has, like, the plastic bags over the legs, you know, it's just, it was just about that, and just how you know it's bad news when you feel the the, the front tire deflate. But clearly, <laughs> you got something from that experience, yeah. and the audience got something from that experience. Yeah, right? I didn't have to I go mean, over stage fright, and they, um, they responded to me, and, and just the comics who were already making livings doing it were, they kind of took me aside. They were like, you, you could be good at this if you wanted to. I wasn't good. But, you know, they were like, you can see if someone has the potential. I'm sure you you see that in people. You're like, oh, this person's going to achieve a lot. Yeah. They're still living in a studio in Astoria right now, but they have big things coming their way. And how do you, how do you perfect it? I mean, how do you then take your craft mm-hmm. and, and, and how do you sort of work on it and, and have it evolve yeah. and find sort of your sweet spot for yeah. the particular brand of observational humor that you decided to do? I think just by doing it, 
you know, isn't that how it is also for, for journalists? It's like you're, you, you know, people can give you advice, but you have to learn from these mistakes that you make and, and get braver from those and, um, all the missteps. And, and then, you know, you just build up your confidence and you, you're open. I was open to learning and I was such a fan of comedy. I feel really like humbled by it. And, um, and just wanted to get really good and understood there was nothing more than experience. I just had to get as much stage time as was humanly possible. And I did. I did it, you know. It seems to me that people initially had a hard time kind of uh, putting you in a box. Yeah, I don't know. I think I really feel for a lot of comics who, because people need to understand, you see a comic get on stage, you go, what's your deal? Okay, you're you're a Jewish gay guy from the Bronx. Okay, we understand that. You're, so for me, I really kind of early on was like, I, I was I made some jokes about sex, and I was like, oh, actually, I don't know anybody else doing this right now. I don't know any other women that I've seen. I'm, and I'm I I love female stand-ups and grew up with the biggest fan of them. Like, didn't really start loving male comics till later, but was. Like, no one, I haven't really heard anyone talk that much about this in a way that was super realistic. And, I mean, there's so many great, great comics who who would mention it. But I was like, I have no problem talking about this. And I also, you know, in retrospect, think it was me trying to feel a little bit more control over my sexuality and and asserting myself by sort of taking the air out of what the, the behaviors that we that we do by saying sort of by sh- with shock value a little bit for sure at first it was shock value I mean you know and it's just because I'm doing all these open mics where the comics are just waiting to go up you have to surprise them into laughing you can't just get a laugh from a joke being well crafted it's got to be and so that's how I sort of made a, a name for myself just on the in the New York scene and I just figured like okay, they're going to call me like the sex comic. And that's how I'll sort of lean into that and market myself that way. My first special was called Mostly Sex Stuff. And I've always felt like I was sort of, if I did the work, that I had the potential to do great things. And that just seemed like a stepping stone to it. I was like, I won't always be this. I won't always be known for this. But this is what I think I should do to get to the next step, whatever it is. And why do you think, what do you think, there are so many talented people out there, but obviously you struck a nerve. Uh-huh. And there was something about you, the whole package, yeah. right, that people just gravitated toward. Well, I'm sorry to ask you the same thing, but, I mean, really, it's like, I don't know. I think it's just, I think it's opportunity, meaning preparation, but, but I, I also... also think it was, you were someone, and I, you know whether we like the R word or not, but you were so relatable. Uh-huh. Because I love that word. <laughs> I think that people felt like you could be their friend. Mm-hmm. You know, you were talking about things yeah. that bothered them. You were completely raw, authentic. And, you know, honestly, you look normal. Thank you. You, you know, and yeah. you, just, you just seem fun and nice and normal. Yeah. And I think people don't see images like that female images right. like that nearly enough. Well, it's like this movie that's coming out, it's like, and when they were trying to figure out who was going to play Barbie, it's like, okay, we want it to be someone act, like relatable. And as far as actresses go, the ones that are, um, you know, in charge of sort of a, the box office of a movie, it goes like Rebel, Wilson, and Melissa McCarthy. And then, you know, body type wise, it goes to like Emma Stone. Like I, there aren't really 
there's nobody really floating around the middle right now. I feel like I'm it right now. And I'm probably forgetting someone and I'll get some email like, what about me? I have saddlebags too. But, um, <laughs> but isn't that strange? You know, and, yeah. and a lot of people will think I'm like actually one of the, um, the stagehands on Meteor Shower. We'd been rehearsing for like a couple days and he came up. He's like, my wife and I are such huge fans. And uh, I was like, thank you. And then we're talking and then I realize during the conversation that he fully 100% thinks that I'm Melissa McCarthy. And I just kind what? of was like, I Wait, know. What? Why? He was like, you know, uh, you did you just see at the Emmys that Sean Spicer was there? And then they showed you. And I was like, oh. And then he was like, how long were you on SNL? And Melissa's never been a, like, been a, you know, a regular on SNL. So I'm like, not only does he not know who I am, but he also does not know that Melissa has never been a cast member on SNL. But um, he's really sweet. Smitty, I love you. <laughs> uh, and he was so, like, mortified just that he had my identity wrong. He, he. His wife, he got home and his wife was like, what? And he brought me a bottle of wine. I was like, hey, I'm flattered. She's hilarious. But, you know, it's like you just, Megan Trainer, just anybody who looks at all similar, they just see like sort of a blonde plumpness. And they say, they, they think we're all like one person. Um, you know, Lena making girls w really inspired me. And, you know, the show Insecure and... There's just, I got in some, um, I got some heat for saying that it bothered me that Khloe Kardashian lost all that weight um, because I felt like she was like the relatable one. She already looked very thin to me before this transformation, not the pregnancy, but, you know, and it was like that, you know, do whatever you want, feel healthy, feel great. But just as, you know, people, we all like look and judge celebrities. It was like, oh, like, come on, you were one of us. And, and so I, um. I just kind of, like Howard Stern once asked me, like, why don't you lose like 30 pounds? And I was like, I don't want to. I, I'll be hungry. And I, I lost some weight for train wreck. And I was like, like beauty and body, that's not my thing. That's not my currency. I feel beautiful and I feel strong and, and sexy, but, but that's not like, I'm not going to be the most beautiful girl. So I'm not going to try to market myself or get myself there. And I don't think that sends a good message. I think being like, and that's what I feel pretty is all about. It's just like, how about like not striving for some other version of yourself? Like why not love what you've got going on right now rather than this, you know, eternal dissatisfaction? I love that because yeah. I think, you know, you are addressing the insecurities that I think Certainly, Everyone. I have had yeah. my whole life feeling never thin enough. Right, which is, and if somebody else goes, enough. what, please? No, I know, I know. But but yeah. I think we're so programmed that if you're not, you know, 20 pounds underweight, so you don't look, uh, you know, heavy in a magazine or whatever. Right. And it's just so unrealistic. And when I see the clavicles, you know, that could cut an apple on the Oscars and everyone on every one of those women, uh -huh. I think, gosh, no wonder we've been so, it's like Pavlovian. Yeah. So that if you see someone normal, you go from they look good to they look fat. Right. And they're just normal. Exactly. Yeah. And it's, but how do, we, I, I hate how do that. you change that? By, really? By doing it, you know, like in this movie, I have a scene where my I'm, it's PG-13, but I'm naked. You can see from the back. And then also a scene where I dance with my shirt off. And it's like, I'm not letting them do t retouch anything. You know, I'm like, no, don't touch it. This is, you know, that that's against the point. And I, I just, 
I feel excited about that, and I feel like these changes are happening. You have a very funny skit about that on your show, where or in your stand-up, where you say, when you pose naked, you talk about a oh, photo shoot with say. Andy Leibovitz, where <laughs> yeah. you said, the last thing you want people to say when they see a naked photo of you is... Wow, she's so brave. <laughs> You're like, what? You know, but whatever. But I, I, could, I understand it, but... And it's also, you know... I love watching all, tra- I love The Bachelor and I love reality shows and all these Real Housewives. They all, The Bachelor, I was like, what, what What would happen if they had like an actual, like a girl who looked like somebody you were friends with and not like these like little tiny bodies and even though those girls are beautiful and again, I don't want to thin shame anybody either, but it's like the the, the example that, that young women are seeing, like what are they, what are they witnessing? They're, they see... The Kardashians, who I think have actually done a lot of, especially Kim got involved with with um, sensible gun laws, which is really cool. And I think that, that they're cool. They're sisters and they can be funny. Um, but their role models are all these shows. It's like basketball wives. It's like just people get TV shows because they like had a kid with a hip hop artist or something. This isn't like what we want young women to be aspiring to. So... Um, I don't remember what I'm saying. You're, I think you're talking about sort of the the role models out there and that we're talking about how you change it and how you change yeah. it is oh, to yeah, give to, opportunities to... Right. And to see, you know, women whose bodies look a little more realistic for for like actual life who don't... Because most people can't afford a, a chef and a trainer and to be starving and have somebody like bring over your like little pile of seeds that you're allowed to eat in the morning. And I... And I can't afford those things, but I'm like, I'm not doing that. I don't want to like, because those people aren't happy either. I have some friends who are like, I, I don't want to hang out today. I won't be able to enjoy it. I'm, I'm, I have to be hungry today. And that's like totally typical for really? a lot of actresses. And it's like, still, let's, come on, enough. But it's funny. I go to the awards shows and I try to look my best and I look like, you know, how the costume designers look. And I, I feel proud about that. That's good. <laughs> yeah. Well, let's talk about what's happening in Hollywood since, uh, you know, obviously there's this seismic shift for women. Yeah. And it's been for all women fascinating to watch and exhilarating yeah. and also kind of mind-blowing right. on many levels. And, and I'm curious, when this started to spill out, yeah. when these stories started to come out and women started standing up and speaking out, uh-huh. what did you think? I thought... I'm hearing a lot of these stories uh, of these survivors of these incidents, and I'm, and I feel like horrible for them, and really proud of them for coming forward, and also like n- that none of that happened to me. I think the stuff that's happened to all of us, especially with the kind of the newer accusations about just coercion, you know, where people are like, "Oh, that's a gray area," and, but I loved Samantha Bee's piece on that. She she just did this monologue about it. Everything doesn't have to be rape. You know, it's not like rape or it's fine. It, I think a lot of us have gotten so used to that behavior of of a guy being like, come on, like at a younger age, especially like in college, I feel like that was, you know, a quarter of my hookups. Like they see what they can get out of you. And please, you know, imagine, like, I don't know who wants to be with someone who's not interested in being with them, but um that kind of like wearing you down and, and, or, you know, being in an uncomfortable situation and being like, oh, well, I just, I got myself here. So now I, I, I have to have sex with this guy sort right. of to get out of here. I think that there's been a real 
sea change in especially younger women mm-hmm. and consent and sort of how it's being framed yeah. in college. That's that's making them rethink and forcing older women to rethink yeah. sort of the dynamics that go on in an encounter. Right. Right. And, right. and so for me, it's been kind of a, a little bit of a, a, of a mind shift mm-hmm. to, because I think consensual is consensual. Right. But then of course, now we're talking about unequal power dynamics and how is it really consensual mm-hmm. when someone has so much sway over your your future and career. your career. Yeah. And then there's sort of the consensual, well, having nothing to do with professional mm-hmm. relationships, right. like yeah. the Aziz Ansari mm-hmm. story, right. which I've been thinking a lot about and yeah. trying to understand kind of the dynamics there, because that was very interesting to me. Mm-hmm. Younger women thought this situation was wrong. Yeah. And I think many older women thought, why don't you get up and leave? Right. So where do you come down on that whole thing? I, I'm in the middle where I'm saying, what a great thing that there's this change with this generation who um, I think we're going to learn from this. And, uh, you know, Samantha B did that whole piece on like, no, like I don't think anyone wants to see Aziz's career ruined or his life ruined or anything like that. But that's where people's minds go. They go, "Is it? Does he deserve this?" And it's it's really not about that. I think, um, I think it's about expressing and, and showing women that that behavior is not okay, and that you not only can you leave, but you need to leave because then the women who come after you, you're you're leaving a mark for them too. So it's not just about your own encounter, you have to also think about if you don't say to somebody, this made me super uncomfortable and it's not okay, which is a really uncomfortable thing. And sometimes you go, oh, he's a nice guy. I just want to leave. I don't want to make it uncomfortable. But if you don't really lay your boundaries out, then you're, you're leaving it open for the, for the women who come after you. And so I think a lot of women are, feel really bad that they've been complicit with, with things, but we didn't know not to be. And I think now there's kind of no excuse. And if you have a doctor that makes you uncomfortable or you get a massage or you have a date with someone and they coerce you in a situation like the Aziz one, um, I don't think there's any sort of, you know, criminal charge. But I think that it's good for this, for everybody to learn that that behavior is not acceptable. It's not a crime, but it's not cool. And it can still really mess with with a woman. So it's, is it the overall presumptuousness? Of, of men who are in that situation, because I also want women to have agency and to stand up, but I also appreciate that it's difficult. Yeah. And it's it must be confusing for men, too. Well, that's what I am thinking about right now. That's why I kind of want to come up with a little bit of a code of conduct for us as women, because I think a lot of men are really confused right now, you know, and are like, wait, this has been cool for so long. And, you know, our dynamic at the office or at the gym or whatever, it's been like, you know, we, we kind of flirt. And some people, we've all done this. We, we just flirt back with them so it's not uncomfortable. Or maybe we have some sort of an advantage, you know, oh, they, they, this guy has feelings for me, so I kind of prey on that. And we've, we've all been there, and, and we kind of can't do that anymore. And, and we need to explain it to men and to other women that, that we need to be teaching each other the kind of behavior that's acceptable. And so when something comes up to say, 
that makes me really uncomfortable. Uh, or, you know, just what, what you're willing to accept. And that those are the hard conversations, but we just can't keep, we can't let things continue the way that they've continued because there's so many different levels of it. Something like what happened with disease, which, you, you know, and, and he's been my friend and I, I, I really, I feel for, I feel for the woman. Um, I, I identify with, with all the women in these situations. I kind of, my mind doesn't go right. To, even if it's my friend, I don't go, oh, but he's a good guy. I, I think, what would it feel like to have been her, you know? And, uh, well, you were in some ways her because you've had a situation that you talked about in your book. Oh, oh yeah. No, I mean, I've been flat out raped, but I mean, but there are so many other kinds of, of sex. There's so much, much other sexual misconduct. I, I, I mean, we've, we've all, every woman I know, every woman in this room, we've all had these experiences that, and I think in some ways this, this current climate, it, it brings these things up and you go, God, none of that was okay. You know, and I'm someone who journaled. I kept journals, and I'm, I read back, and I go, I just feel so bad for that girl. You know, why, why didn't you get up and leave? And sometimes you do, and sometimes you just, you just do it. Do you think that the conversation will, you know, right now it seems like a volcano erupting and, and sort of this fury and rage and frustration and this kind of ickiness yeah. that has been sort of bubbling beneath the surface is now kind of exploding and women are talking about this and men I think are are not part of the conversation right now. Uh-huh. Um what do you how do you see this this movement evolving? Like evolving? I think um a lot of men are anxious to be part of the movement because they want to help and they're good people and you know and I think um, they also want to understand uh maybe what they behavior that they felt comfortable yeah. and why it, why it wasn't okay. Right, and it's up to us to teach them. And I do mean women. I, I think, and I think they're open to it. People, you know, a lot of the, the men in my life are, are open to self-reflection and evolving, and, and I am, and so how can we be better at teaching them? And, you know, um, it's there's some behavior where you go, that's just clearly insanely wrong, and right. you should just be in jail. Uh like, oh gosh, I'm just, I'm so proud of all those gymnasts who stood up to, to and how about, how great was that judge who right. went, I'm signing your death sentence and these women are not victims, they're survivors. And yeah, it's, it, it's kind of up to us to teach them right now so that things can be different for the next generation. I, I think we'll see some movement, you know, like I, I get to spend a bunch of time with Gloria Steinem and this is a really exciting time for her. And they had to fight to get their own magazine and people weren't listening. Now we have the internet, we have like a real voice and people are really paying attention. And, and it's just so across all industries. It's like, and most of the women times up, like, you know, we're like, okay, let's, let's take care of our house first, which I think Shonda Rhimes said at a meeting. Um, but you know, there's so many levels under sort of what our house is. It's like the stunt women, the crew women, but, but set up, uh, so that women in all industries, in, in these low-paying jobs, women who work at hotels and farm workers and people who work in, you know, in the service industry, it's it's rampant. It's it's really frightening, and um, I think I think there's like this big change happening, and and it, and I don't think it'll burn out because the people, everyone's really fired up about just giving their time and energy because it's just so important and essential. Do you think this would have happened if Donald Trump hadn't been elected? No. No, I don't. So, 
I, you know, I'm a Hillary girl myself, but, uh, but if we want to find any sort of a silver lining, if he hadn't bragged about grabbing pussies, we probably wouldn't be protecting ours so much right now. You have been involved in this even before this movement happened because you've spoken out about pay inequity. Yeah. When <laughs> you got your Netflix special mm-hmm. and found out Dave Chappelle and, and Chris, Rock. Chris Rock were making uh-huh. a certain salary that was really almost twice as much it as was yours. Like about, yeah, it was like twice as much. You said, excuse me. Yeah, well, again, that wasn't... I wasn't, like, trying to go viral with news for that, and that news didn't kind of break till later on. I, um... I I thought those guys are absolute legends. They're two of my best friends also. And they deserve every penny they got paid for that those specials and you know um and I'm really proud of them. And also I don't I don't think with where I am sort of in the zeitgeist right now that I deserve half of what they're getting. I think I'm going to ask for more. And I asked by myself. I didn't pay anybody any commission on the the extra money I received. And, um, you know, and there was so much. I have these, uh, and I'm sure you probably do too, just with working on gun laws and with the nature of my stand-up, I, I have, like, organized trolls who go against me and they get my movies voted down on Rotten Tomatoes and all this stuff. And with Lovely. the special, yeah, what a treat. But I'm just like, I really, truly don't care. Um, at I, first, I'm sure it was pretty unnerving. Oh, of course. And then you learn, like, yeah, you're like, oh, God, you're, you're so afraid. And then it's like, I, I'm just going to keep doing my thing. And they're doing their thing. And, you know, uh, but so there was so much controversy with this with this special. And um, people really looking to hate on it. And I'm really, I'm really very proud of it. And I got nominated for, I directed it, so I got nominated for uh, directing it. Congratulations. I'm up against the Oscars, so I don't think I'll beat the Oscars. But um, but I thought, you know, it's not that cute when it comes out in the news. Oh, that wasn't enough money for you? You should be grateful. I just thought that's not the message that we need to be sending right now. It's not about that. It's not, you know, I, my last season of my TV show, I, I was, I felt like kind of underpaid the whole time. Right. And, then they, and so you went to Comedy Central too. Yeah. And I was like, hey, I, I know that these guys with similar shows to me are getting more money than me. And so finally, when they gave me more money, I, I donated uh, 90% of it to the crew who had been working with me the whole time. Just to be, it's not about that, you know, sure, right. money's awesome. And, and I love fun and drinking nice wine, but, um, but I donate so much and it, it really, for me was just about like, it's not being, it's not fair. Like I had a book deal back in the day and I was like, no, I, I think I, I think I, I, that it'll be worth 10 times more than this. And I backed out and nobody wanted me to. And, you know, you got to like stand your ground. And that's why I really want to support just women in any job fighting for equal pay. And I, it's, it can be really hard. I know it's different, in different industries. It's easier said than done. But if I can support um, yeah, I, I want to, and I want to send that message. But it's so so typical because if, you, as a woman, if you do make demands, if you do ask for equality, mm-hmm. you're automatically seen as difficult, bitchy. You're vilified, right? Yeah, and and I think that's because of how we've been conditioned to act, yeah. and I think that 
If you're I think a guy, women, you're a boss. Right. But a I, woman. Think, I do think women, one of the great, I think, um, aspects of this movement is I think we're going to equip women with hopefully the confidence and the power to make demands. Yeah. And to not typecast them when they do. Right. But I think our our society really, and, and I think probably that's why you got so much pushback. Uh-huh. A man would, first of, man, first of all, a man wouldn't have had to do that. No. But secondly, if he had, everyone would have been like, yeah, yeah. right on. Get your money, son. Yeah. But for me, it's like, I anticipated that. And it didn't come out till like, you know, a month after it came out or something, after the special came out, I think. And, uh, I'm proud of my business sense. And I think another message that we want to send is that there's power in numbers. And so that's why, you know, I, I spoke to, uh, I never, I, I don't even know Kat Sattler, you know, like I probably spoke to her on a carpet or something once, but she's a, was a correspondent at E. And, uh, and I just like heard about her not getting offered equal pay. And it was like, well, let's, let's stand up for this woman and fight for her. Let's stand up for each other, you know. And right now it's like within our business, but we're, we're joining forces with all these other industries so that it's, you know, it's, it's a global thing. There's, they want to start a Time's Up Kenya. It's exciting. It's awesome. But, you know, Amy, I, I, through the years, you have gotten, I think, because you are c- comfortable in your own skin and who you are, but how do you handle it when people attack you relentlessly. Yeah. And I, I mean, I think everyone probably is attacked relentlessly these days not, with social not media. Not to the level that but, I, but so, yeah. <laughs> with so much vitriol, whether it's about, you know, anything yeah. from soup to nuts. It could be about something My you said. or about money be, or, yeah. Right. Or, or it could be about your position on, on gun laws. Right. I mean, so... That's that can be very debilitating, demoralizing, yeah. and and psychically depleting. I think. Right. And I, and so yeah. how do you how do you handle it? I just early on, like I, you know, I did a, the roast of Charlie Sheen, and after one of my jokes got a lot of pushback, and um, and I I knew then, and I know now that it's not it's not actually personal. I think I think success really annoys people. And when somebody's making money and they're doing well, you can't help it. You just want them to fail. And I don't blame anyone for that. What is it about? I don't know. We're all like that. We love to build. They call it the tall poppy syndrome. Yeah. In Australia. Australia, Right. Nobody's like allowed to get famous there. Um, Well, when they do, they just can't wait to chop chop you down. down. Right. So I think it's that, um, that's just sort of resent. Instead of putting energy toward working on yourself, I think it's really easy to just vilify somebody else. And so that doesn't feel personal to me. Any, any feelings like that, that's more about the person who has those feelings than it is about me. And, and these controversies that have come up and, you know, I've had many, like people are waiting to tear you down and burn you at the stake when you're in this position. And, um, some of them I've, I've really learned from, and I, I still have so much I need to learn. And, uh, I just, I really don't take it personally. And it never makes me feel like I'm a bad person. You know, did if I, you if always I, feel that way or did you learn to not take it personally? No, I, I learned, I learned early on. I learned like 10 years ago. And so since then, it feels bad when it's like affecting work, you know, <laughs> like if I'm getting picketed or something like uh, it's, it's like, oh God, this is going to push us back an hour or something like that. But um, it doesn't hurt my feelings anymore. It hasn't for like 10 years. Um, Do you read it? I, like if there's like a big thing going on, I'll like check it out. But it makes me laugh. Like I don't know. 
Yeah, I really feel like I know who I am. And I love my friends and family and like the people I'm close to. And I'm respected by the comedians that I love and respect. And I just, I feel really fortunate. And if I let myself get brought down by these, you know, like controversies that I know don't, don't actually like that, that what my intentions were, or, you know, if I hurt someone, I, I, I feel, I would feel horrible, you know, but, um, and, you know, like, and, and I think there's a lot of, when it comes to race, like I now on my projects have an inclusion rider. So there has to be a certain number, a number of people, uh, people of color or people with disabilities or something, you know, filling these roles that, that's like, and this is a big part of Time's Up where we're all encouraging people to do this now um, so that the, the, the cast is like more reflective of the actual population. And, um, and I, I've been like accused of being racist over the years and, and I'm just, I, I just am so not, but I, I also recognize there's room to grow and I just want to do my best to empower women and people of color and, and I, but I also understand it's like, it's gotta be really annoying. Like I, I, I could see myself getting vilified in, in, you know, different communities for whatever reason, but my intentions are just so to truly include everyone. And so do you ever worry that this heightened sensitivity and this kind of greater consciousness about not offending people uh-huh. has that the pendulum perhaps has swung too far and that you feel like you're walking on eggshells and someone's going to be upset if you make a joke about this or that? Or do you think it's a good thing? Or are you, again, somewhere in, in the middle? between? No, I do think it's a good thing. You know, jokes that I made 10 years ago, I wouldn't dream of making now. And um, that was just kind of right for me at the time. And culturally, things were different. And, you know, like guys were telling like a lot of rape jokes. I had some jokes about rape and that's just, it, that that just is so unacceptable now. And, um, and just, I feel more of a responsibility because my voice is heard more now. So I, I want to do a good job of, of not hurting anyone's feelings and, and just, you know, sort of moving the needle in the right way. So I don't think it's a bad thing, this oversensitivity and there'll still be comics that don't you know, care and they'll just say whatever they want if you want that. But I'm not interested in doing that personally. I don't feel held back. I don't feel, you know, there's some things like that's just for your friends and we can always just joke with our friends. I'm friends with like the dirtiest comedians alive and we say horrible stuff to each other that if it got out, we'd be toast, you know, but everybody has those conversations with their friends and family. But what I am willing to say on stage, it's, it's, and it's not like a self preservation thing. It's just, I'm not interested in it. And, and it just doesn't feel like the right time. I want to, before we go, talk to you about how you got involved in gun activism. Yeah. You, uh, um, I remember very well yeah. when that happened at that movie theater mm-hmm. where Trainwreck was playing. That was in Louisiana. Yeah. Lafayette, Louisiana, and July 23rd. Yeah. Two young women were killed, mm-hmm. a 21 year old woman, and I believe a 33 year old woman. Yeah. And I was thinking about them. Macy and Jillian. You know, and then, you know, these things happen. And I don't know, today I was thinking about how quickly people forget about tragedies and move on. I was thinking about their families when I was getting ready to talk to you because Mm -hmm. I thought, who remembers that? Who remembers them? Me. You. Yeah, and their families. I think about them all the time. 
I, I kind of keep them with me and uh, any like accomplishments or anything. And I, yeah, I just always mention them. I dedicate every special to them now and just, and you know, just to kind of keep them alive in myself and, and just in the ether. Um, Is that what set you off on this path to really try to do something about how many guns are in this country? And yeah, yeah. Were you, you, was that something that you were uh, passionate about before that? No, not at all. No, I really had no information before then. And, um, and I miss those days because (laughs) it's just, you know, it's really, it's really upsetting. Um, the just how sort of lax the gun laws are, how how easy it is for somebody who's who's on you know a no fly list or somebody who's mentally ill or has been convicted of being an abuser. Like it's still pretty easy to get a gun, and uh, and yeah, and these shootings are they're every new one. They're like the news cycle just it just yeah. There's a new thing the next day, and they, you know we we push and we get into. Congress's face and we go because so many politicians are getting money directly from the NRA as you know and uh, yeah and are you are you are you discouraged um I sometimes I but then I look at the people who work at every town for gun safety and you know Julianne Moore and I are both on the board there and and then just going out to these events and meeting people I just before the Las Vegas shooting a couple months before I'd been in, in Vegas to meeting with their chapter for every town just listening to people's stories about how gun violence has affected them they're just so heartbreaking that you're just like even if I move this just I can help move this just a little bit in my lifetime that'll be worth it and and I just you know, everybody just refuses to give up. And uh, yeah, I believe it'll take a long time, but I think there'll be like a real change. I I do. I I have to believe that. As we look ahead and knowing that you were a passionate Hillary Clinton supporter, how are you surviving the era of Trump? I just feel so much better than I think we all did a year ago. I think a lot of my, actually all my friends were just like in a depression for a year. Those, especially those first few days after the election, like it was, it was just like the most painful, like worst. I I would, you know, I would say it was second to, to getting the news that Macy and Jillian had been killed. It was just, and I, I just felt angry and there's got to be a place for that, you know, for women to express anger. And yeah, we just needed a little time to be, for it to really mess us up and realize how bad things still are in the world. You know, we got blessed with this Obama era, these great eight years we we were given. And then just to be like an about face in the wrong direction in what feels like every single area. To to me, I just feel that he is a huge, annoying setback. And um and that that's like a very you know that's incredibly reductive but and i don't think that anybody who is afraid of deportation right now like living in terror is um would look at it that way but but that's what i'm trying to keep it that way in my sights to keep myself encouraged that you know we can all really work together and make change and um women wanting to lead and women wanting to run for congress and and we're seeing so much so much changing just you know, with politics and 
and I believe we'll get the house back this year. That's my hope. And and, and in a way, he has been a, a a real catalyst, hasn't he? I mean, yeah. Uh, I you know you mentioned a silver lining, but it seems as if people have been, you know, woken up from their complacency. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. I don't, yeah, just like I'm not mad at internet trolls. I'm not even mad at Trump. He's just, he's just like King Joffrey. Like he's just been empowered by people who didn't, I feel like they didn't understand, they didn't understand. And I wrote like a really aggressive tweet or Instagram the day after he won. I was just furious with these people. Like, do you understand what you've done? You know, the people who elected him. And, um, and I think a lot of them have real regrets and didn't understand. And, uh, but do you have compassion for some of these voters who felt like Hillary Clinton was not speaking to them? Yeah. And I was thinking about it, and I think that deplorable comment was probably really damaging to her <laughs> candidacy. Yeah, I, I think it. I think it was too. Like, there's all these, like, you know, we got of we course. can read what happened, but it's um, it's you know, it just doesn't that sound funny that he's now saying these shithole countries and you know he's paying a, he paid off a porn star after Barron was born like it's just the if you put them on a chart next to each other it's just it's hilarious the things that she's been vilified for versus the things that we're just not even paying attention to anymore I'm there not even a funny interested. skit yeah. on SNL yeah that they had a game show does it matter oh yeah Jessica Chastain hosted right, it she does right. such a great job yeah yeah and it was like we can't even keep up. It's not even interesting anymore. You know, when someone's like, did you hear what Trump said today? I'm just like, I don't, can I skip it? Like, can I just, can I sit this one out? Yeah. But all in all, you're feeling very optimistic about the future and about the state of the country versus a year ago. I really am. I think people are understanding that the change has to come from, from them. If you have it in you to run for office or to go to a meeting or to start like a chapter of something in your town where you can try to help get the word out for people to vote. Um, Just people didn't know what they were capable of. And I think they're feeling more empowered. And I think we really um, are about to experience even more change for the better. Do you think you'd ever run for office? I don't know. There's got to be a sex tape of me out there somewhere. Can you be in an office if you have a sex tape? Um, yeah, I don't know. If I thought that would be helpful and I would do a good job, it's the same as like a role in a movie. I just I don't want to do it if there's someone out there who could do it better than me, but if I ever felt like I could do a good job and be helpful, I would. Because Chuck Schumer, of course, is your second cousin. <laughs> yeah. They used to say the most dangerous place to be on Capitol Hill was between Chuck Schumer and a camera. Oh, that's hilarious. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. He's not afraid of the spotlight. <laughs> yeah, I'm really proud of him. And I know, you know, what, what's been happening lately, it's like, it just seems Was like, that a miscalculation in your view? Of what? Uh, the shutdown and the DACA and sort of the Democrats' position on that. Um, I, I, a miscalculation? Like, yeah, well, some people think it's really hurt the Democrats. Right. But I don't, I don't even I don't know, know that, yet. Yeah. I, yeah. I don't know. You yeah. know, I'm watching the news like everybody else. Yeah. And I'm, I'm reading, like, what Chuck's kind of press releases are about it. And, you know, I know him. I love him. I believe he's the greatest intentions, and I believe he has a plan. And I hope Mitch McConnell wasn't lying. I'm hoping the same things that 
Everybody's hoping. Anyone you like for 2020? You. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> well, we found out Oprah's not interested. So how about Shonda Rhimes? I'd vote for her. Well, I love talking to you, Amy Schumer. Me too. Can Thanks I come for coming over here. Without a microphone, anytime and we can talk. And we can talk really real dish. shit. <laughs> we can really talk shit. Um, you can make a lot of jokes about me. You can even talk about anal sex, but don't say <laughs> that you said you love humor. Yes, I, I'll never say that again. Thank you. <laughs> Thanks to our roving podcast production team for helping us record at Amy's Pad for this one. It's kind of cool. I was in Amy's Pad. That's Gianna Palmer, our producer, Jared O'Connell, our audio engineer, assistant producer, Nora Ritchie. Thanks also, as always, to Beth DeMaz and Emily Bina over at Katie Couric Media. And Allison Bresnick, who represents on social media. Katie and I are the executive producers around here. Mark Phillips wrote our theme music. Please feel free to send your questions, feedback, and guest ideas to us over at comments at currickpodcast.com. Or you can leave us a voicemail, as always, at 929-224-4637. That does it for us today, everyone. We'll be back next week with our latest Wonder Woman, Laverne Cox. Bye, Brian. Talk to you next week, Katie. Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org slash cd for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote.